Ready to form Voltron! Job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! Welcome back to Charlie's Geek Cast. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and today I'm looking at another comic book suggested by you, the listeners. All right, well, actually, it's just Dave McElvaney, but he is a listener, so that makes sense. Anyway, today we're looking at The Amazing Story of Superman Red and Superman Blue from Superman number 162. Now, listeners of my previous shows might remember that I've had trouble with the Silver Age in the past. It's... Really just my fault, because I I have trouble trying to get my 41-year-old brain into the mindset of a 6- to 10-year-old in the 60s. In fact, part of the reason that this is delayed uh, is due to me wanting to give this story a fair shot without being super snarky and pointing out all the Silver Age tropes. Um, But I think I've managed it this time, although there's still going to be a little snark. I mean, it's me. I can't help it. So let's jump into the issue. Superman number 162 had a cover date of July 1963, an on-sale date of May 2nd, 1963, and a cover price of 12 cents. The story is titled, of course, The Amazing Story of Superman Red and Superman Blue, written by Leo Dorfman, penciled by Kurt Swan, and inked by George Klein, with some assistant pencils by Kurt Schaffenberger, which I will get to in a little bit. Now, this is one of those full-length novel stories... It's also an imaginary story. I think I mentioned that. Uh, So it has chapters. So chapter Chapter one, one, the Titanic Titanic Twins. Twins. One day at the Daily Planet in Metropolis, on a day which may or may not ever happen, the unnamed publisher decides to post the races everyone is getting. And despite him stating that this is a list of everyone getting a raise, Clark is listed even though he isn't getting a raise. After Lois chides Clark for not getting a raise, Perry offers to take the staff out for lunch. Evidently, the staff only consists of Lois, Jimmy, and Clark. Unfortunately, Clark can't join them because at some point, Supergirl contacted him with important news for him at the Fortress. Possibly super ventriloquism, my favorite power, but I don't know. And what is this important news? The folks in Kandor have decided to list off Superman's greatest failures. Number one, he's failed to find a way to enlarge Kandor. Number two, he's failed to find an antidote to Kryptonite. And number three, he's failed to wipe out crime and evil on Earth. They then give Superman six months to correct these issues, or they will ask him to trade places with one of them so they can solve the problems. Also, which would cause problems for the secret identity because that means Clark would disappear. For some reason, Superman agrees to this trial. But he'd already come up with his own list, which also includes at least a fourth item that the Kandorians didn't mention, but we can't see it because it's 
covered up by like arms and balloon word balloons and, and panel borders. But he has a plan, folks. He's been working on a brain evolution machine. Brain evolution machine that is powered by the rays of all forms of kryptonite to increase his mental power 100 times. Worried that it might kill the Man of Steel instead, Supergirl offers to take his place, but he won't hear it, and enters the machine instead. Now, while the lead crystal glass protects them from the K-rays while they're outside of the machine, there doesn't seem to be any such shielding inside the machine. So therefore, I would think that once Superman enters the thing, the kryptonite should be hurting him. I mean, technically the red kryptonite should be causing some sort of transformation while the green K is weakening him. That is unless the gold K already has removed his powers, which may or may not negate the other K since he won't be super anymore. I, I, that's confusing. Anyway, somehow none of this occurs and Supergirl activates the machine. The machine is a success, but soon Superman starts experiencing a painful headache, which is not something he normally gets to experience. Before Supergold can turn off the machine, it explodes. Now, without the shielding in place, Supergirl should be feeling the effects of the kryptonite, I would think. But instead, she witnesses something even crazier. Two Supermen. Somehow, this machine has split Superman into two men. One in a completely red costume, except for all the little yellow bits normally found on Superman's costume, such as the back of the cape, the yellow belt, and the yellow in the S-shield, while the other is completely in blue, except for those same yellow bits, and the S-shield is still red. Well, the one on his chest, anyway. Uh, they are totally 100% like the regular Superman, just a bit smarter, and they show this by renaming themselves based on the colors of their costumes. So now we have... Superman Red and Superman Blue, obviously. It's the, it's in the title, folks. Keep up. And now, they can team up to solve Superman's three main failures, plus the fourth one, but they're not going to tackle that one, as far as I can tell. First up, Kandor. Now that they are smart enough to repair Brainiac's enlarging ray gun, Superman Red makes the needed repairs, while Superman Blue works on creating a force pellet needed to power the gun. After contacting Kandor and telling everyone that Kandor will soon be restored, they fly the bottle out to the asteroid belt. Now this is kind of cool because you can actually see Superman's giant hand and arm holding the bottle while they're out in space. Anyway, out at the asteroid belt, they find fragments of hypermagneton. Magneton? And they fuse them together by slamming them together with their combined super strength. This new planetoid produces strange magnetic beams that spread throughout the galaxy very quickly, like instantaneously, and attract all of the scattered kryptonite, drawing them to the planetoid. As these chunks come together, the magnetic beams also, coincidentally, manage to change the atomic structure of all the kryptonite, restoring them to the harmless rock, minerals, and gases that they once were. I would think that this, that, that would stop them from being attracted to the magnetic beams by that point, but apparently I'm wrong. So now, in a very short amount of time, we now have a new planet in our solar system, complete with land, water, and atmosphere, that isn't causing any problems for the rest of the planets. Down on the surface, Superman Red fires the enlarging ray, restoring Kandor and its citizens to full size once again. And now the Kandorians, who I've just noticed are all only wearing purple and red, they have superpowers as well, because they're still in our yellow sun solar system. And with the help of the Supermen, they begin the process of making this new Krypton look just like the old one. 
First, Superman Blue shows them how to use super pressure to turn some of the mountains into the famed Jewel Mountains. Meanwhile, Superman Red has another group planting seedlings from Kandor's botanical gardens, which, thanks to the influence of the Yellow Sun, quickly grow into a new Scarlet Jungle. Strangely enough, they just grow real quick once planted, but don't wither and die just as quickly. Then they use some old plans and rebuild all of Krypton's cities, including Argo City, former home of Supergirl. Now, it's just occurred to me here that some of these things you would think would be in the wrong spot, but apparently when the Kryptonite was brought back together, it all went back the exact way it was on the original Krypton. So the Jewel Mountains are actually in the correct spot, I guess? Uh, anyway, with the construction of the new Krypton complete, the Kandorians, or shall I say Kryptonians, are ready to return to their normal lives once again. But they can't do that with superpowers. So they convene a meeting of the council to decide whether or not to give up their superpowers. And while they deliberate, here's a thought. If the only inhabitants of this planet are the citizens of the Bottle City, then most of these cities they've just recreated are going to be ghost towns for quite a while. Multiple generations. Even if you consider that some of the Kandorians were from other cities, there's still going to be a major population shortage for a while. You know, just thinking about that. But no kid in the Silver Age would have thought of that. Chapter 2, The Anti-Evil Ray. The Council has decided that they want New Krypton to return to the former site of the original Krypton. Fortunately, due to their enhanced intelligence, the Superman had already deduced that they want that, and had already put the planet in an orbit that will, make, that will take it back to their old Red Sun system. Not sure how that works, but we'll just keep moving right along. As the heroes return to Earth, after returning to the fortress, they receive a telepathic call from Lori Lamaris in Atlantis. Somehow, their monitors had managed to watch everything they did for Kandor, and they ask for a new world of their own. So, ignoring, ignoring the title of the chapter and realizing this will help pad out the story, they agree to help. But where will they send them? Superman Blue adjusts the Mind Prober Ray, and for those of you that don't know, the Mind Prober Ray... The Mind Prober Ray was designed, I think, from plans from Jor-El, but, but it was mostly used in Superboy. Basically, he could sit down in a chair, the Mind Prober, way, Prober Ray would fire beams into his head, and it would allow it would allow him to access parts of his super memory that had been damaged or clouded due to kryptonite exposure. So he would tell all these stories about things that happened on Krypton, and then Ma Kent would write it all down in like a journal or something, and the idea was it was going to be a book. That's how they did it, things back in the day. Anyway, the Mind Prober way, the Mind, I cannot say that. I sound like Elmer Fudd every time. So Superman Blue adjusts the Mind Prober Ray to fire two beams so that both of the Supermen can use it simultaneously. And then they try to remember a planet that they've seen on their space journeys that would be suitable for the Atlanteans. They end up deciding on the memorial world of Krypton that Superman and Supergirl once created. Now, as I go into an Andy Leyland bit, I know what you're thinking. And you're right. Why did they go to all the trouble of recreating Krypton when they already had a duplicate ready to go? My guess is that recreating Krypton allowed them to kill two birds with one stone by not only being part of the Kandorian restoration plan, but also to get rid of the kryptonite. They didn't know that the Atlanteans would want their own planet too, so it's just fortunate that they had another planet. Is there a story where he does this? Because I, I honestly don't know, 
And I think it'd be interesting to know if there. Apparently, he and Supergirl built this thing. And it's supposed to be an exact duplicate, I guess. But it'd be really interesting to, uh, to know if there was a story for this. Anyway, the problem here is that this fake Krypton has land on it, which is not really necessary when the whole population moving there are merpeople. Now, judging by what they do next, I'm guessing that this planet, in order to make it authentic, is in a red sun system, so they can't actually go there. So instead, they call Crypto from space, and the four of them concentrate their heat vision on the polar ice caps, melting them enough to cause giant tidal waves that flood the entire planet. Now the problem with my theory earlier is that in order to transport all of those Atlanteans to this new planet, the twin Superman also fly to the water world and use magnetic meteors to draw up some of the water to form a column that connects to a column of water that they've brought from Earth, providing a water tunnel for all the mer people to use to swim to their new home, which you would think would take forever, but fortunately the planet is apparently close enough that they can get from point A to point B in a very short amount of time. With the Atlanteans now on their new world, which they renamed Hydra, long before that was a problem in Marvel Comics continuity, the twin supermen head back to Earth without helping them repair the tidal wave damage at all. Maybe a lot of it floated away, although it still has to go somewhere anyway. Um, back on Earth, Superman Blue comes up with plans for an anti-evil ray, which is the title of this chapter, so we're getting to it. And Superman Red builds it. After a successful test on ants, they mount multiple rays inside multiple satellites, which they then put up in orbit around the world. Thanks to these rays, robbers are returning what they stole, prison escapees return to prison to finish out their sentences, the Soviets agree to a nuclear disarmament, and some terrorists release their prisoners. And it isn't just humans that are affected. An invasion by Brainiac and the Superman Revenge Squad ends before it can begin when they realize that attacking the Earth is just wrong. Even the great Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time, turns his attentions on helping humanity by creating a super serum that will cure all known diseases. After the supermen distribute the serum into the world's water supplies, two days later we see a blind man see, the crippled walk, and Lex Luthor grow hair. As thanks, Lex Luthor is pardoned, and now that he's one of the good guys, the supermen reveal that Lena Thorol Woo. That Lena Thorol, is that how you say it, is actually Lex's sister. They are finally reunited with each other. And for the life of me, I can't remember right off the top of my head, were they keeping that a secret from her, or from him, or both of them? In any event, with this mission seemingly accomplished, the Supermen return to the fortress, only to see Supergirl releasing the criminals from the Phantom Zone. What the f***? Chapter 3, The End of Superman's Career. Supergirl reveals that the anti-evil ray even affected the Phantom Zoners, who just want to return to the real world so they can go to New Krypton and live there as useful citizens. Then she drops another bombshell, when she reveals that she too wants to return to New Krypton permanently. But how to get there since New Krypton is now in a red sun system? Fortunately, the answer to this pickle arrives in the form of the Legion of Superheroes, who arrive from the 30th century with a spaceship for Supergirl and the Zoners. Without skipping a beat, the Kryptonians load up, Supergirl says goodbye to her cousin, or cousins, I guess, and they take off. But then, before he can even think about anything, 
Superman picks up an emergency call coming into the fortress. It's Lex, letting him know that Mixias Pitalik has been seen in Metropolis. Lex is ready to blast him back to the fifth dimension with his, get this, fifth dimensional cannon. But the Superman realized that Mixie isn't up to his old tricks. This time, he's used his powers to carve a monument to the Super Family on the side of a mountain. And with his job completed, he voluntarily shouts Kill Tipsy's him and returns to the fifth dimension. Because without actually saying it, it's implied that the anti-evil ray even affected the fifth dimension and probably other dimensions. So now that crime and evil have been abolished, the Superman can finally get married. Forgetting all of Superman's former loves, they decide that there are really only two women that they'd want to marry. Lois Lane and Lana Lang. What a surprise. And now that there are two Supermen, they can marry both of them. But who gets which girl? Naturally, rather than le letting them decide, they figured that the best way to decide this is to go to a junkyard, fashion two giant metal L's, and stand in a lightning storm to see which one gets struck by lightning first. I mean, it's obvious. But, wouldn't you know it, the lightning bolt forks and strikes both L's at the same time. Of course, this is all made pointless by the fact that Superman Red states that his heart has always been set on Lois, while Superman Blue has always preferred Lana. With that decided, they head out to each girl, reveal that Clark and Superman have always been the same man as they suspected, and they propose marriage. Then both couples meet up at the park, surprise the girls with two Supermen, and decide on a double wedding. Weeks later, we finally reach the wedding day, and Jimmy, the best man, of both Supermen I guess, meets up with Lucy, the maid of honor, and Lois' sister. Now, Jimmy has proposed to Lucy a few times by this point, but she's always turned him down because she wanted to wait until Lois was married, as you do. But now that she's getting married, Lucy's finally ready to accept Jimmy's proposal, if he's still interested. And with that, the double wedding turns into a triple wedding. But not all is sunshine and roses. Superman Red is starting to feel homesick for the recently restored Krypton, but doesn't feel right asking Lois to leave Earth. So, Lois has Superman Blue make some spacesuits for them and surprises her husband with plans to return to Krypton. See how I did that as the title of a famous story from the Silver Return to... Anyway. They even take Crypto and the Super Horse, since he'll still have superpowers under the Red Sun, and they all fly off to Krypton together. Meanwhile, Superman Blue is perfectly fine staying on Earth with Lana, and even goes to Perry to announce his retirement, since, you know, crime is gone. He even deploys his Superman robots as protectors against natural disasters or other non-crime-related super emergencies. Because this is from a time before pollution was a problem. Four years later, Jimmy and Lucy celebrate their anniversary by checking in on the two super couples. At Clark and Lana's, Clark is wearing his super suit in honor of the special day while playing with their super-powered children, in matching super suits, of course, both blue. Meanwhile, in the background, Lana's happily ironing, as you do. Next, they, get, they use a monitor built by Superman Blue to check in on Superman Red and Lois, and we see that Superman Red now goes by Kal-El, because they're on Krypton, and they appear to be enjoying their life with their twin children, wearing super suits. Red ones, of course. Jimmy believes both couples seem to have found the happiness that they were looking for, but Lucy isn't so sure. And the story ends with the editor asking the readers, which couple do they think would be happiest? 
Now, based on Lois still asking Kal-El if he's sure he's okay with leaving after four years on New Krypton, I'm willing to bet that Lucy is suspicious of her sister's happiness. The story here is actually pretty good, touching on all the major beats of Superman's Silver Age from the Legion and all the main villains, although you didn't get Toy Man or Prankster. Or Metallo. Oh, although Metallo died, didn't he? Anyway, uh, and I guess were Toy Man and Prankster kind of not used much in the Silver Age? Again, I don't know much about the Silver Age. Anyway, um, but they hit all the major beats. Sure, the Kandorians come off a little bit like a-holes here, but it had been several years since Superman promised to restore them. Then again, holding him accountable for the seemingly impossible task of wiping out all crime and evil is pushing it a bit. But then again, and I like to say then again apparently, so was Superman making that vow in the first place. Now I'm not sure that a planet could be created the way they did it, but this is an era where Superman could move planets, so you know, science be damned. And the lightning trick, like I pointed out, seemed rather pointless and felt like a super deed bit of padding. And it unfortunately also forced the end of the story to be rushed a little bit. But it was still an enjoyable read. I think, and, and I, I believe this might be a Julie Schwartz thing, but I would imagine that Mort Weisinger was doing the same thing. There was probably, there was like a certain amount of pages where you had to have a super feat in the story. And I'm guessing that they were running into points where they needed a super deed. So they had to throw that in there. That maybe they wouldn't have done that had it not been a requirement, I would hope. Anyway, as for the art, I think it's really well done as well. Uh, I have a soft bot, as you know, for Kurt Swan. And this is considered his prime era, so it looks really great. Although Superman has a huge forehead. It's like his hairline's receding or something. <clears throat> Kurt Schaffenberger was brought in for the Lois and Lana parts. I can't tell if he just did their faces or if he did their entire figures, but it's definitely not Kurt Swan drawing them completely. I'm not sure why they did this. I mean, he was uh, Kurt was drawing Lois's book, uh, and I guess Lana was in that book sometimes too, but, I mean, they don't do that on all the stories. It just was confusing. Anyway, and that's going to do it for this issue. After a quick break, I'll be back with some listener feedback and a look at the ads. But first, playing us out is the number one song for the week of release, which was I Will Follow Him by Little Peggy March. That's her actual name. I did. I am not calling her Little. That's just her name, apparently. Anyway, I'll be back in a bit. Follow him, follow him wherever he may go. There isn't an ocean too deep, a mountain so high it can't keep me away. I must follow him ever since he touched my hand.
Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at com. Hey Ryan, I know we're taking a break from Batman Nightcast, but I've been thinking about the Nightfall storyline where Jean-Paul Valli temporarily took over the role of Batman. I see where you're going with this. If you were ever paralyzed, I would be honored to take care of Cindy and your kids. Uh, no, that's not where I was going. I was thinking about all the many characters who have filled in for Bruce Wayne as Batman over the years. Dick Grayson, Tim Drake. Commissioner Gordon, for some reason. Yeah, that did happen. Anyway, on the subject of temporary replacements. Your son Andrew is going to take over Supermates? No. Focus on Batman. Why is this so hard? While we're away from Nightcast for a while longer, someone could come in and do a Batman-related show for the Fire & Water Network. Well, I know Paul Keen loves the Batman Family comic book. I've seen Sean M. Myers post a few things about Batman Family, too. Do you think they'd... We'll do it! For those of you who aren't familiar with the series, Batman Family was a DC comic that ran for 20 issues from 1975 to 1978 and then rescued Detective Comics from the DC implosion by continuing as a dollar comic for 15 more issues until 1980. The title started out with new features starring Batgirl and Robin, along with reprints before morphing into all new stories starring other members of the Batman family, such as the Huntress, Commissioner Gordon, Man-Bat, and even Ragman and the Demon. So you're all invited to the Batman Family Reunion podcast, taking over the Batman Nightcast feed. Coming in January to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This could be the sensational podcast find of 2022. We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. All right, and I'm just going to look at some of the ads. I'm not going to do page by page like I used to do back on Superman of the Bronze Age, but we'll take a look at some of these ads. The first ad, which looks like it's kind of interesting because of the time, uh, this is from 1963, remember. This is the inside front cover. It's a subscription offer. For just $1.20, for the most part, you can get a two-year subscription. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Two-year subscription to some of the best comics and entertainment. Now, these, now this one only really covers... <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It actually kind of covers the Superman-related books. Plus a couple that are not related to Superman at all. So you, uh, there, there's adventure comics featuring Superboy, Saturn Girl, Sunboy, Brainiac Five, and other members of the Legion of Superheroes, which is actually two forty because you're getting twenty four issues. Okay, sorry, one buck twenty is wrong. So two forty if you want to get a monthly subscription. It's ten it, it, because you're getting the two year subscription. It's dropping the price to only $0.10 cents per issue, a whopping savings of $0.02 cents per issue. So for $2.40, you can get a two-year subscription to action to Adventure Comics. Superman comes 16 issues, so it'll be a buck sixty. The mightiest, Superman, the mightiest hero in the universe. Superboy is also a 16-issue subscription. The Adventures of Superman when he was a boy. 
and Crypto, his pet superdog. Jimmy Olsen is also 16 issues a year uh, for two years. The luckiest boy alive. He's Superman's best pal. Uh, there's Lois Lane featuring the girl who wants to be Mrs. Superman and her rival, Lana Lang. That's how they know her? She's the girl that wants to be Mrs. Superman? Not the reporter? Anyway, that's also 16 issues, so a buck 60 for two years. World's finest Superman, Batman, and Robin together in one big adventure. Also 16 issues, so a buck 60. Action Comics is 24 issues, so it'll be 240. Action featuring Superman, Supergirl, and Comet the Super Horse. And then the three that I guess only come out every other month, so it's really only, so two years is only 12 issues, so it's a buck 20. The first one is The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Where there's Dobie, there's girls, fun, girls, excitement, girls, and Maynard, too. Uh, the Adventures of Bob Hope. Hilarity, originality, pleasure, excitement. Put them all together, and they spell hope. I didn't see that when I started reading that. And then finally, The Adventures of Jerry Lewis. The zaniest funster of them all in the wackiest fun-filled adventures ever. So, so it's kind of funny. It's like all the Superman-related books, minus Justice League. Uh, but you also get Dobie Gillis, Bob Hope, and Jerry Lewis. Uh, the 60s. All right, moving along. I don't think there's another ad until we get to the... Oh, oh, oh. Yep, in between chapter one and two, we have the strange lives of Batman and Robin in the latest giant Batman annual. This star-studded collection of suspense-filled stories, plus a special Superman-Batman thriller, The Bewitched Batman. And a collector's item, the original covers of Batman's first appearance in Detective Comics and Batman, on sale May 23rd. Now, The Strange Lives of Batman, and Robin, uh, includes The Giant Batman, The Grown-Up Boy Wonder, The Power That Doomed Batman, then you have Zebra Batman, Phantom Batman, Rip Van Batman, and Merman Batman. Also keep in mind, this is before the new look, so this is all staying in the normal look for Batman for the time. Some of his pre-Julie Schwartz as the editor zaniness that was in all the Batman stories. First, try a tongue teaser. Can you repeat the sentence below five times in eight seconds without mis making a mistake? I can't even read that part without making a mistake. Blow big blue bottles. I'm not even going to try it. Blow. Anyway, but once you do that, now buy a tongue pleaser. Delicious Tootsie Roll candies. America's favorite candy. All right, moving along through the issue here. All right, the Tootsie Roll people really bought a lot of ad space because at the end of chapter two, we have uh, a picture. Look at this top hat in the distance from the top of the hat. Is the distance from the top of the hat to the bottom the same as the distance from one tip of the brim to the other? And apparently, yes. So there you go. But it's also an ad for Tootsie Roll Pops. So you, you learn something and you can get a Tootsie Roll Pop. Do you know how many licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of the Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. And then the next page we have. Admit one to the Palisades Amusement Park in New Jersey, featuring Superman. This is a free ticket to go to the to the park, worth 65 cents. 
Uh, we get the letters page in between parts two and three. We're not going to go into those, but it does have super coming attractions at the bottom. Uh, the June issue of Action Comics, which is now on sale. If Superman committed a murder, how could he be arrested? If found guilty, how could he possibly be imprisoned or executed? See what happens when the Man of Steel is accused of killing Clark Kent in the sensational courtroom drama, The Trial of Superman. Plus, Supergirl and the Superhorse visit the Sorcerer's Planet. Uh, the July issue of Lois Lane is on sale May 9th. It has three super stories. Magic, the monkey's paw. Mystery, the girl who sank Atlantis. And Mirth, the romance of Super Baby and Baby Lois. Ah, that just oozes Silver Age, doesn't it? And then the June issue of Adventure Comics, now on sale. Features the Legion of Superheroes in a showdown battle against their most fantastic foe, the Legion of Super Monsters. See what happens when the Legionnaires duel Earthquake Beast, Mirror Monster, Omni Beast, and the Driller. Also, the fake Superboy from Krypton. We are at the end of the story with a Super Turtle comic, and we also have another Tootsie Roll. Two great masterpieces. One is Whistler's Mother. The other one... It's Tootsie Roll Fudge, masterpieces of delicious candy, creamy smooth. They don't sell these anymore, I don't think. They're one cent each, so just a penny. And instead of being a Tootsie Roll, it's like a little rectangular, little square of fudge. I don't know what the difference is between the darker brown and the kind of orangish one. Maybe it's the color thing. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. And that's about it for the ads. I don't have the, oh, even the back cover doesn't have much of a good ad. Ugh. Uh, but we do have some listener feedback. And our first bit of listener feedback, ironically, the listener feedback also comes from the man who suggested the story for today, Dave McElvaney. Let's see. First off, he comments on episode 66, Geeking on Star Trek Comics. I have to say, as a big Star Trek fan, I was very disappointed in the Gold Key Star Trek comics. With the photos from the TV series on the cover, I expected better artwork than I got inside the comic. But these were the days of... It's the only game in town. I sometimes wonder if younger fans of whatever franchise really appreciate the golden age in which we're living these days with so many Star Trek series and movies, a cornucopia of Marvel movies and DC TV series, etc. I often remark that if someone had told, say, eight-year-old me that someday there would be a weekly TV series featuring, at one point, Rip Hunter, Time Master, to say nothing of Green Arrow, Flash, Adam, Superman, Supergirl, Martian Manhunter, and more... I simply would not have believed it. I'm looking forward to your take on Superman Red and Superman Blue. Thanks for doing that. Well, you're welcome, Dave. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, then he also wrote in regarding an episode that I literally just released as I'm recording this. Uh, episode 67, Geeking on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It was a lot of fun to listen to Charlie and Grayson watching He-Man and the Masters of the Universe together. I liked hearing Grayson become more talkative and animated, especially during the second episode. He did open up after a little bit. It was nice. I can tell that you are both enjoying yourselves and interested in the story. Certainly Grayson was ready to watch episode 3, and I'll be listening to hear when you, what you both think of the series. Thanks for sharing some father-son father -son time with your listeners. Well, you're welcome. We do plan on watching the next few episodes. We're, actually, I think uh, we're, we're going to try watching the whole season that's available. Uh, unfortunately, finding the time is difficult uh, because sis, uh, sister always wants to come in and uh or mommy's here and if she's here she's probably watching a movie or something in the other room so it's not really quiet 
which makes it a little difficult to uh, watch the show so that we can talk about it. But, you know, we'll do the best we can. So I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a great, I don't know, however long it is till the next episode. Which, by the way, continues our Silver Age look at Superman with the story of the Brainiac Luther team, I believe is what it's called. I don't have the cover in front of me, but I believe that's what it is. It's the first big team up between Brainiac and Lex Luthor. A non-imaginary story. We'll check it out next time. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night. Thank you.